Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Coming up, cannabis researcher Zach Walsh, pot activist Stephen Stairs reviews the new store-bought marijuana. We'll also talk to Getty Stewart, a professional home economist, about the idea of snacks becoming the meal of choice, and Kevin Doherty and Bill Arenchuk. They are putting together a book on the local video store scene. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Zach Walsh is a psychology professor at UBC. He's one of the country's leading pot researchers. He is a Winnipegger, and he joins us on the phone now. Good afternoon, Zach. Good afternoon. Well, your initial reaction. Marijuana is now legal in Canada. Well, it, it, it's it's really happening. I know that I spoke with some people who, you know, up to the last minute were saying it's not going to happen. But yeah, it's a, it's a big day. It's a big day for Canada, and I think it'll I think it'll stand as a big day, um, you know, even more broadly. I think a lot of countries are going to follow the lead, but we're still the first large nation to legalize cannabis, and I think it's something that uh, that we should be proud of taking this progressive step. I think it's a no brainer. What will be the biggest thing to come from the legalization of recreational marijuana? Will it be on the research side where you're at, Zach? You know, I think there's going to be some exciting stuff with research. We're going to be able to look at cannabis in a whole different light because we're going to be able to see it in a way that that is uh, free of stigma or, or less stigmatized. And I think we're going to be able to ask questions that weren't really that we weren't able to ask before about benefits as well as harms. But you know, I think the biggest difference is that it's a human rights issue. You know, that this is something that humans have used for thousands of years. Prohibition was less than a century, and now we're back to normal. And, and this right to use this plant is back in the hands of, of the people of Canada. So I think that that's definitely the biggest issue. It's, it's a human rights victory. What is it good for? What can it treat? Well, you know, I think there's some, there, there's emerging evidence for chronic pain. Uh, I think it can help people with sleep. Um, I think it can help with anxiety. It all depends, you know. And, and the, the best, of course, is if you're able to uh, to just live a healthy life without using any kind of substances. But if you need something, you got to weigh the weigh the pros and cons of this versus versus Tylenol, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, versus opioids. We're understanding more the risks there. So diazepines and antidepressants, limited effects. So it's at a place where people can maybe more easily weigh the pros and cons of different approaches to managing their, their health and mood. And, and again, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's to the benefit of Canadians. It's a, it's a good move. This might surprise some people. You and I have talked in the past. Do you actually feel the legalization of pot will make our highways and our streets safer? Talk about that. Well, you know, that that's what we're seeing from the states. And in, in the states, they have this, this beautiful natural experiment where we're able to compare states that have cannabis laws uh, versus ones that are more liberal. And uh, and what they show is reductions in traffic accidents that are probably associated with, with reduced alcohol use. At least that's what a couple studies have shown. So no reason ever to use cannabis and drive while you're high. But uh, at the population level, overall, in terms of safer roads, I think that I think that we may see that we may see less alcohol fueled accidents. Yeah, and less opioids as well. We'll see fewer deaths from that. You think, right? Yeah, I think I think it's all hopeful. That's again something that we've seen in the states. We've seen some dramatic reductions in opioid overdose fatalities in places that had uh, easier access to cannabis, and it seems to be associated with ease of access. So. As it gets more accessible, it makes it easier for people to, to make that choice. And, and for a lot of people, that's going to be a safer choice. So, 
yeah, it's, I think it's. I think we're going to see a lot of benefits, and I think most importantly, we're going to get at some get at some real facts about what does happen in 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 a place where we can have legal access to cannabis, uh, and maybe stop some of the fear mongering and and hyperbole, and actually figure out what does this mean for society. I don't think we'll see a huge increase in use. You know, I think I don't think so either. Just, maybe with older adults, I think that's where that's where we've, they've seen at least in, in the states they've seen the biggest uptake there. Those are people who are maybe abstaining before, didn't have access before. But in general, it'll just be a relief for people who make that reasonable choice to use cannabis. They don't have to feel like criminals anymore. And I think that's exciting for a lot of Canadians who, except for the fact that they use cannabis, were law-abiding citizens in all other ways, no longer have to be looking over their shoulder and feel like they're you know, outside of society in some way. They can just have their liberty to, to, to pursue their happiness in the way that they see fit. Not hurting anybody. It's a good thing. You're there at UBC. You're a Manitoba, and I want to ask you about a couple things in Manitoba. You can't grow it here. It's legal, but you can't grow it. And uh, no edibles here. What do you think of those uh, two particular points, and do you think that will change over time? Well, I think the edible thing will change over time almost certainly. You know, For a lot of people, it's just a much better option than smoking. It has a slightly different effect that some people will prefer. And especially for, you know, even for older people, if you're using it for sleep or pain, it's it, the edible is, is, the, is the mode of choice there. In terms of not growing it, I think that's a shame. You know, I think part of, part of what's interesting about cannabis and part of what can be really, um, you know, healing for people is, is able to take care of themselves in that way, to, to grow something and tend it and, and have that be part of their health care, I think is really empowering. You know, often if, as a psychologist, if, if someone is depressed or they're, they're, they have low mood, you say, mate, why don't you try gardening? Why don't you try to get outside? And, you know, if you, can, if you can garden and get active in a way that empowers you and helps you take care of your health, I think that can be a really, uh, a really good thing. So I think it's a shame if people aren't allowed to grow, and, and I can't see the danger, really. What are you hearing about the shortage that we're seeing? Some stores sold out right at midnight overnight. Uh, what do you know about this shortage, and will that get taken care of? Yeah, I think it'll get taken care of in time, um, but it'll, there'll, there'll be there'll be a, maybe some rough patches starting out. It's hard to gauge such a big industry to come online all at once, you know, at, at one time. I think it'll get sorted out pretty quick. And one more question. What about people when they are impaired, the ability of police being able to figure out whether or not they are impaired? Do you have confidence that that's going to get figured out? I think it might be a bit of a puzzle, but ultimately, you know, right now it's illegal to... Um, drive uh, under the impairment. Well, not right now. Yesterday or for the last number of years, it's been illegal to drive under the impairment of cannabis or anything else. So some of those penalties have changed, but the gist is still the same. It's illegal to drive impaired. And hopefully we won't see that happening or we won't see any increase in it. But the puzzle remains the same for police when it comes to identifying it. I hope we won't see more impaired driving on the road. Um, But yeah, the puzzle remains. How do we figure out if people are impaired? There's not a great test the way we have for alcohol breathalyzers. Well, Zach, I appreciate all your help leading up to legalization, and I look forward to seeing developments on the research side and and having you on to talk about those successes. Well, thanks for calling me. Always a pleasure. Local marijuana activist Stephen Stairs joins us on the phone. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm great, Hal. How are you? Excellent. Well, I know you're excited. I heard you on the shows earlier today. You're, you see this as a big day, and I, and I think it is, and especially for somebody like you, and there are many like you who have been pushing and pushing and trying to get it legalized, and now it's legal. The reason I wanted to have you on is I know you were up uh, well all night waiting to buy some. I know you bought some. 
Have you smoked some of that new store-bought pot? I most certainly have, Hal. And what is your <laughs> review, Stephen? Uh, well, so far, I mean, I haven't gotten through all the stuff. I mean, <laughs> well, I hope not. A few hours. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I definitely, I tried the, the curiosity ones that I really wanted to try. Yeah. And uh, so far, uh, I'm quite impressed, actually. Really? Um, I was really skeptical, honestly. I'm not going to lie, Hal. I was walking in there expecting, you know, some of their entry-level, you might call it, uh, prices on cannabis to be, you know, fairly moderate in their, their, their you know, I guess, uh, taste and, and, you know, feel and how they smoke and things like that. Very, very entry-level, you expect it for an entry-level price. But it seems to be that the some of the, the more generic, moderate stuff that I purchased, um, you know, we're talking about $11 a gram, which is a little more than, you know, you'd want it to be at street prices. Uh, or at, at legal prices compared to street prices, but for the for the quality that I paid, it's no different than some of the pot that I've grown at home over the past ten years as a medical cannabis patient. It's quite good. It's it's up it's up to my par. I'll tell you that. Well, and I wanted to get you on to ask you about this because the people that I know that smoke pot say, ah, pfft, okay, it's legal. That's exciting. Great. There are going to be stores. Good for the people that you know now want to walk in and buy it. And it's a big day. It's a big deal. But they're a comment to me, or at least a lot of them have said, it's not going to be good, Hal. It's not going to be as good as my guy. So I'm interested to hear that you think it's pretty good. We had a listener, his name was Joe. He called up a while ago. Just listen to what he had to say, and then we'll talk some more here, Stephen. This is what Joe said when I asked him about his pot purchase today and what he thought of it. End of the day, it's quite expensive. The same thing that I get from my guy yep. is $50 for seven. At the store today, it was just under 120 bucks. And you're not going to pay that big increase, eh? Heck no, I can't afford that. And, and answer me a question. Have you tried any of the store-bought pot yet? Uh, yes. How was it? I'm going to say the same. The so kick- the same well, and twice as expensive. So you're going to stick with your guy. I'm going to have to, yeah. yeah. So uh, would you agree with his comment there, Joe? He said it's about the same, but he says he can't afford to pay more than double. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with Joe 100%. I mean, there there's an over-onerous taxation and regulation system in place that causes cannabis to be not nearly as cost-effective as to produce as it is if you grow it at home compared to, let's say, if you're growing it in a mass production scale like some of these big corporations are. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I can grow pot at home for a dollar a gram. Unfortunately, these big corporations with, you know, regulations and food safety standards and quality control issues and things like that, their prices just keep going up, and more red tape that puts upon these businesses and these private, like, you know, entities needs to be released and you know eased a little bit in order for those prices to come down. It's just like any industry. Once you have that first initial step in, prices are going to be high, and they are high. I'm not lying. They're they're not nearly as high as I thought they would be, <laughs> but they're pretty high. Your, um, so your hope then, Stephen, would be that the prices will eventually start to come down. I guarantee they'll come down. Uh, you know, it's a supply and demand issue. Right now, they're worried about even having stock in the stores, you know, in the next few weeks. You know, like that. Like, we're talking, you know, possibly running out of cannabis in this country. That's a very odd conundrum to be in. But the fact of the matter is, it's a fact in that, you know, people are trying, these companies, I should say, are trying to keep up with demand that's really not feasible right now due to the scale of production that they have going. So we're going to see this lull, this, this, you know, uptake, this lull, this uptake, this lull on having cannabis and not having it until these production levels get to so far up that there's, there's almost like a flood of the system. You know, there's too much cannabis, and that will then drop the price. 
Yeah, because just based on what Joe told me, I'm thinking if he normally pays 50 and it's costing him 120 now, that's not going to get rid of the black market. I'm sorry. No, and you're, 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 Joe's completely right, and you are right as, as well, Hal. I mean, there's, there's no incentive for someone to go buy legal cannabis if they're paying twice as much as their street guy does. Yeah. Now, there is an added incentive. You know, you know what you're getting. Right. It's a quality source. There's all these quality control issues that for the general public, it, it, it's actually like something that they're looking for. Yeah. You know, they want weed that's not grown in some basement. Right. I know if I grow weed in the basement, it's pretty good. Yeah, but like, not the like, general public. Like for a guy like me who at 54 goes, eh, hell, it's legal. I'm going to give it a whirl, right? I'll go and buy it and I'll pay that because I don't want to deal with a guy. And I know it's exactly. legal and I know exactly what I get. But for guys that have been people that have been smoking all along, this is not going to get rid of the black market. So I, I hope you're right in that sense because – for me, that's one of the reasons I go, hey, cool, Ma- uh, marijuana is legal because I do want to get rid of that black market. And, and, and you know, and, and that will come with, with again, I mean, when the government see that their, their regulation and taxation system is, is burdening that, that ability for the black market to be defeated and the you know, legal system to thrive, yeah. they will then see, well, maybe you know, if we're selling these grams at $10 with all the taxation and production mm-hmm. values and costs associated with it, yeah. maybe we need to ease those up to bring those costs down to eliminate some of those black market issues that they're worried about. Hey, another, they're not going to. I mean, black market's thriving right now. They're, they're, they're liquidating cannabis, you know? Yeah. Another thing I wanted to ask you about, because I think this will be a, an appeal not just to new users, but to users like you who've done it for many years, you can now go in and have some selection. You can go, I'm going to try this, or what's this all about, or, oh, that's kind of cool. And I think, the, <laughs> I think the variety and the selection now is going to be kind of a, a plus, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you've, you've had that bit of a variety through the quasi-gray black market, you know, online sales, you know, yeah. that's kind of been around for years. But, again, you don't have that quality control issue. You just have to rely on, well, they said it, you know, Afghani Kush. It must be Afghani Kush, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it, 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 there is a little bit of that, you know, easing of, of, of the concern that people have with the skepticism regarding an unquality or yeah. unsatisfied product. But there, the, the quality standard really issue is more of a labeling and a testing issue than it is a comparative issue. There's lots of really good pot on the street coming from these, you know, quote unquote black market guys that is just as quality made, just as well maintained, yeah. just as love as cared went into it. And it's just, unfortunately, it's not being certified or sanctioned by the government. Hey, I'm almost out of time here, Stephen, but I'm curious. Give me a couple names of the pot you bought today. <laughs> I'm just curious what the names are. I bought I bought uh, one. It's called Sensi Star. Yeah, yeah, very nice. It's a, it's an indica hybrid. Uh, I also got one. Uh, let's see what I got here. Kinkeder. I can't pronounce that one because it's got a G in it, and I don't know how to say it. Uh, and then there's, there's not a there was a Justin Trudeau flavor that Delta Nine had, but I didn't actually get the sample of it. I didn't have it in stock. There's so a Justin like Trudeau well. flavor. Uh, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. We're finding research is showing that people are snacking more. And we're going to talk about that now with Getty Stewart, uh, who joins us on the phone. Hi, Getty. Hi, Hal. Hey, thanks a lot for doing this. Getty, of course, a professional home economist. And you can check out her great website, GettyStewart.com, G-E-T-T-Y, Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T.com. And uh, uh, latest research on this, only 27% of us eat three meals a day, as Tristan just told us that, that he does. So he's in, that's like a quarter of people, more and more people now 
are eating snacks. In fact, uh, the same study says 86% of us have eaten snacks in place of meals. I guess no surprise here, eh, Getty? Uh, yeah, I think I, I think that's sort of par par for what we're seeing in the in food trends and how people are choosing to eat, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I love what you said when I got a hold of you and I said, "Hey, can we talk about this?" You said snacks are fine, nothing wrong with that. It's what you're eating that matters. Yes, and and that's really the the key thing. Whether you're eating several small meals, snacky meals throughout the day, or you know sitting down and having three square meals a day, mm. um, it it's not so much matter how you're eating them. It's what you eat that really matters. Here are the top ten uh, snack foods: cheese crackers, fruit chips, nuts, veggies, yogurt, sweets, pretzels. Uh, frozen uh, frozen mozzarella sticks. I've never heard of that. This is a lot of this stuff's out of the States, but uh, mozzarella sticks. And um, again, when, a, when you're talking snacks like veggies, for example, that's fantastic. But a lot of times when you buy these snacks in the store, they're highly processed and we know that's not good. Right, Getty? Right. I think that's that's something that we've got to try and get away from is, uh, is if we can get a, ourselves away from highly processed foods. Those are usually the foods that are pushing the limits on sugar, salt, and unhealthy fats. And so opting for more fresh, um, whole whole foods mm-hmm. is, is always our better option. So the fruits and veggies are great. If we can mix that and make combinations of food, then we're more likely to recreate sort of that meal-like um, atmosphere atmosphere where you're getting a mix of uh, nutrients and vitamins, fiber, protein, um, and all the things that, that our body needs. I shared with you my research that I found. You sent back some to me, and your research, which is actually uh, Canadian, shows that cookies are the top choice for snacks. I am a sucker for a cookie. I've never met a cookie that I don't like. And and you make a a great point uh, in our emails back and forth. You said, that's fine, but try and make it a home-baked cookie because then we control what goes in it. Right. And and so just like, you know, whenever you can make it whole foods, whenever you can make it home-baked, because when you see what you're putting into into those uh, cookies or or your home-baked goods, um, you know that, wow, that's a lot of sugar or, or fats that, that we're putting in there. Mm. Uh, also, the uh, often the store-bought uh, large-chain type of um, sweets include the, the fats that we don't want. And so, yeah, that, that's a concern. Also, think of the proportion size. I mean, when you make a muffin at home, it's one thing. Yeah. When you buy a store-bought muffin, it's usually two or three times the size of that. So um, automatic portion control, how much of, of something we eat. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, so the snacking itself is not an issue, but it's what we're snacking. And I'm pretty sure that, uh, and, and the, the Nielsen Global Survey shows that chips, chocolate, cookies are still very high in our, in our snacking consumption. So if we can switch that up, um, then, then we're doing better. My wife and I just had a conversation about this, about food waste, the, all the food that we waste. And uh, I think something like a third of people in this research that you shared with me say that they eat snack dinners to reduce food waste. And I know you've got a few thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't. I don't really get that. A lot of the snack foods that that we buy 
um, are prepackaged in small little containers and small uh, small items. They usually have plastic, uh, some sort of aluminum foil, and then they're wrapped in cardboard on, to- on top of that. So uh, while you might not be tossing a carrot, you know, that's gone funky in your fridge into the compost, you're now dealing with a whole different kind of waste. So I think that's that's some weird rationale going on there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's just moving the problem around. I can't see how snacking is an issue to uh, to our environmental concerns. And I've said before, you know, when I do interviews like this or when I'm emailing back and forth with somebody like you, I like it when I learn something. And I, I, I learned something from you, our emails back and forth, that I hadn't really thought of. And I think this is a great tip to end on. Often when we're hungry, it might just be that we're thirsty. They can be the same or feel the same, and maybe we don't even need to eat at all. Maybe we just need a drink of water. Yeah, I think that's that's a good thing to try first if you find yourself going, huh, I feel like I need something to eat. Do you really? It could be that you're just thirsty. So, yeah. yeah. Really good stuff, yeah. Getty. Thanks a lot for doing this. I really appreciate it. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Thanks for calling. Getty Stewart, gettystewart.com. She is a professional home economist, and she knows her stuff. Gettystewart.com. So I got an email at hal at cgob.com from a guy by the name of Kevin Doherty. And uh, he's a filmmaker, has been for quite a while here in the city of Winnipeg. And him and his buddy, Bill Horenchuk, want to do a book on the local video store scene or the local video store industry. They both, over the years, have worked in video stores, and they think there is a book there. I sat down with them this morning and chatted with Kevin and Bill. Take a listen. So both of you have worked in the video store business in the past. That's correct. And why the interest in doing a book now? Well, I think because um, this is a uh, this is a time uh, in our past that uh, we feel we, we don't want it to be forgotten. So we yeah. kind of want to chronicle what Bill and I went through working in the video uh, store business because the today's generation will never have that chance, and I don't know that they know what they're sort of missing out on. <laughs> and it wasn't just uh, renting movies. Yeah. Uh, we made like a lot of relationships through it, meeting customers. And Absolutely, there was yeah. There was a lot of social uh, interaction face-to-face with the customers, right? And so I think that's really something that's sort of missing, and I kind of feel sorry for today's generation not having been able to experience that like yeah. Bill and I did. Yeah. Now, will the book focus on working in a video store or being a customer in a video store bill or both it's it's actually going to be both i mean we like to primarily focus on uh the the experiences of being in the video store industry as an employee there are a lot of stories out there that are golden right kevin and i both have 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 shared our stories at the at the video store industry and they're fantastic and and every anybody who's worked out there in the industry is going to have a golden story so we're looking for those from the employee point of view uh, to compile that list of stories and experiences, but uh, also from the customer's point of view, like we want to know, like when they came into the video store, what was that experience like? Because it really is going to be a lost art. You know, you when you 
you know, look up a movie. A lost art, really? I mean, are we going to go that far with it? We are going to go that far. I think Kevin will agree. It really (laughs) is a lost art because when you go on Netflix and you look for that movie and you spend an hour looking on Netflix for that movie and then you watch it and you're disappointed in that first 20 minutes, well, the experience of the video store is you walk in and you ask the person at the video store, you know, what's a good movie? So you don't spend all that time looking. And when you're in the video store uh, industry long enough, you know what the good movies are. and People trust you and they rent that movie and they come back and they're like, that movie was fantastic. And that's exactly what we're missing these days. That's the lost art right there is yeah. the, the interaction between the customer and the employee and that fantastic movie that you were able to share with them. You know, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. I, I gave some thought before uh, knowing you guys were coming in and I thought, well, I kind of miss the experience of going in and browsing and, and looking at the movies, but I do that now on iTunes in the comfort of my big comfy chair at home. But you're right. Um, we waste a lot of time watching trailers on iTunes now. Trailers all look great, right? But the movies aren't all great. And you're right. Many times I would go into my neighborhood video store and I would say, hey, what's new? What's good? Uh, here's what I'm looking for. And you're right. That person behind the counter would have, have good advice. Well, something else I think that was important is back then, um, it was word of mouth. What what movie is good, right? You'd see a review in the newspaper, which was like once a week for a movie that was released in the theater. And then you had no idea what was good or what wasn't good. So we would have people in the store for literally hours scouring the shelves looking for a movie and coming up to us saying, is this any good? You heard anything about this? Because we didn't have Rotten Tomatoes or we didn't have the internet to look up you know, reviews. There were no blogs back then. You had no idea. So you went into a video store with one, two, a, a prime directive of getting usually two movies. Yeah. They would usually get a comedy and a drama mm-hmm. or they would get a horror and an action, right? So you'd grab the movie, usually based on the art of the front cover and the summary on the back, and then they'd come up to us. But you got seven bucks. You're going to have these two movies for a whole weekend. You, you want to make the right choice, right? So what do you do? You don't have... You have nothing to, to yeah. you don't have any computer to look these movies up, yeah. so you're taking a chance. And it was kind of like Russian roulette in a way, yeah. you know, you're either going to hit or miss. Yeah. I used to buy every year Leonard Malton's movie book, right? Yeah. He used to yeah. come out with a movie book every yeah. year, and that's how I figured out yeah. what the good movies were, and that's how I got my, uh, you know, reviews back then. Right now, there are usually Rotten Tomatoes is kind of my go-to. Or, or what I kind of like now is uh, I'll go on to YouTube, and they'll have these videos now, you know, the best 10 horrors on Netflix right now. But you're right, it's different. There was something fun and, and something, I don't know what the word is, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right, guys. I think you're onto something here. Yeah, and you know, it's not just that. It's that, it's that when, it, when I first started out uh, at Bill's Video, uh, the Fridays and Saturday nights were insane. Nuts. Nuts. Like you, like, you can't even describe to somebody who has never been in the industry what it was like to see four lines of people from the front of the store to the back all wanting to rent movies. Like, those days are gone. We had, hey, can you put that one on hold for me when it comes back? Yeah, and I, we were talking earlier about how the Dropbox, when people had to rifle their uh, returns into the Dropbox, we would have people standing there, is it back yet, is it back yet, is it back yet, waiting for that one movie to title to come back in you know it was just an incredible experience and it's something that we will never see again in a video kind of way yeah Uh, listen i know you're doing a book i'm curious to know though uh kevin why a book you're a filmmaker why not do a film 
I'm taking a bit of a break on filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting old, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And I wrote a book last year uh, called Horror Mania 79, if you don't mind my cool. shameless plug. Yeah. Uh, growing up uh, as a 10-year-old in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and discovering horror. Horror is my, my genre, um, my forte. And I had so much fun writing the book, I wanted to write another one. Yeah. And uh, I was looking at some old um, video clips that I did with the uh, video store camera back in 1990, uh, when I was at Bill's video on slow days, me and coworkers would make little videos and we would do little skits about, you know, imitating customers and, yeah. and I was watching these things and I thought, this is funny stuff. And then Bill started an alumni page on Facebook and I start, I, I was watching people who are a part of the group, uh, putting stories up there. And there was a lot of funny stories up there. And I thought, I think people would be interested to know what went on in the video store age back in the late eighties and nineties. Mm. And I, it's not, it's not been chronicled. I've Googled video store books. There's hardly anything out there. And we're not too far removed from that age that we can still access owners, clerks that have worked there so we can get all their stories. And we'd especially like to try and find some of the pioneers who first opened video stores in Winnipeg. Who were the first ones? What did they do? What, what did they experience? You know, like all this stuff taking a chance on this new type of business in Winnipeg, right? I mean, now it's long gone, but at the time, I'm sure it was sort of trailblazing. Exactly. And we'd like to get a hold of these people. Like Addie's Video is the video store that I remember going to in Winnipeg Square is where we got our first VCR for, I think my dad spent 1800 bucks on it and it was in 1981. Yeah. 1800 bucks in 1981. What is that nowadays, right? Yeah. And I think Addie's Video was one of the first. And I would love to get a hold of Addie if that was his name. And I would love to pick his brain. Yeah. And, and a book is good, too, because you can self-publish now. You don't have to involve people. It doesn't have to yeah. cost a fortune. You can kind of do it on your own market and promote it online. So, yeah. Now, listen, I realize you guys are doing the book, and you want people to get a hold of you, and we'll give them details on that in just a second, or they can reach out to me here, Hal, at cgob.com or 204-780-6868 or the talk line 774-TALK, 774-8255, and I'm happy to pass them on to you guys, okay? So as you sort of find a, a content uh, for this uh, book, um, I know you're doing the book to tell these stories, but either one of you have a great story, just one little story you can share with us, even if it's somebody else's from the Facebook page or, or whatever. So, uh, I, every customer thinks of the best customer, right? So I had this one woman come in and she said, uh, she, she thought she was the best customer. She wasn't, she wasn't, she, you know, she always had late. She always wanted a deal on her late. She was always, you know, returning things <laughs> unrewound, right? right. So she, oh, rewind. Yes, exactly. I forgot about the re- that. Be because. kind, rewind. Exactly. So she comes in one day and she says to me, Bill, you're about to lose your best customer. And I'm like, why? What do you mean? And she says, I'm moving to Ontario. And I said, and you're taking my best customer with you? <laughs> Story. That's a great story. Well, guys, best of luck with it. I think you're onto something here. I think, uh, and we'll open up the phones on this now and see what people have to say about this. But coming soon, a book about the video stores in Winnipeg, that video store scene. Uh, I don't even think it's that far back, uh, Kevin, 80s and 90s. I get, I probably same as you. I think we got our first VCR in 1982, uh, and they were a fortune back then. By the way, before I let you guys go, are there any video stores in Winnipeg left? Well, video seller, maybe? Video seller on Watt, I know, is still functioning. And I believe Video World on Henderson Highway, too. Okay. I, I know of those, too. I've never been in there. We're going to approach them. Yeah, sure. We're going to talk to them. I'm sure they've got How are they surviving now, right? 
Well, that's the question, right? Like, obviously, they're doing a lot more than renting movies. They might have, like, a grocery store in the yeah, corner yeah. or a post office. I don't know. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll approach them, yeah. too, and see what they have to offer. Well, and hey, listen, uh, when we're at the lake on the weekend, we go and rent the DVD at the, you know, Beach Mart. And so, I mean, it's still out there, but it's not the way it was. And I wish you guys a lot of luck with the book. Good luck. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.